Welcome to the Imaginal Inspirations podcast with me, David Lorimer, where I talk to my guests about experiences, people, and books that have shaped their lives and work. Imaginal cells are responsible for the metamorphosis of the caterpillar into a butterfly, which is also the Greek symbol for the soul, that's suke in Greek. These cells are dormant in the caterpillar, but at a critical point of development, they create the new form and structure which becomes the butterfly. My guest today is Dr. Anneluz Smitsman, uh, who is a futurist, entrepreneur, system scientist, best-selling author, keynote speaker, and award-winning pioneer in human development and systems change. She's the founder and CEO of Earthwise Center, co-founder of Earthwise DAO, D-A-O, initiator and architect of the Earthwise Constitution for a Planetary Civilization, and lead architect of the Earthwise Game for Civilizational Transformation. She received a degree of doctor from Maastricht University in the Netherlands for her pioneering research on systemic transformation. She's the co-author with Dr. Jean Houston of the bestsellers The Quest of Rose, which won the 2022 Silver Nautilus Book Award, and The Return of the Avatars, which won the 2023 Gold Nautilus Book Award. For more information, see her website, which we'll put up in the show notes. So welcome, Annalise. It's very nice to see you. And you're speaking to us from Mauritius, your home in Mauritius. That's right. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be with you here. So I'm going to go into the the first question, which is a shaping moment involving your choice of work. And some of my guests say, well, there's more than one shaping moment, but <laughs> maybe you can identify um, some one such moment or moments. Yeah, I think I have to present a few moments because I my work is not just one area. <laughs> it's a very, very broad. Um, but if I look at what is the critical element in all the different areas, whether I work as a, an architect for designing new systems or now the latest in game development or human development and courses, the, the essential element is always transformation. So what really has shaped uh, you know, that deep commitment to both the inner and the outer transformations is going through my own transformations in life. That started to already happened when I was very, very little. Um, when I was little, that I had several health challenges. So I was often thrown back at my own transformative capacities, whether either to feel like I was doomed to live a very limiting or perhaps even a disabling life, or whether I was going to source deeper uh, and really connect with nature within myself as well to find the ways to heal myself. So it started, I would say, this line of work, I think it already started when I was two years old. This is when I had my first uh, <laughs> health challenge and a big challenge with my eyes. Yes, and then going through a series of, of surgeries. So since I was little, confronted with uh, life and death, these themes very early on, um, which also caused deep transformations in consciousness and understanding that, that is, uh, there's a world that many people don't see or are aware of. And then there's the world of concreteness and form where we draw all kinds of identities and, and ideas from. And for me, in order to keep my sanity and really feeling that I could be here on purpose for what I felt I came to do on this planet, I would draw very deeply from that more invisible world and then bring that out into the outer world. And that's still what I'm doing today in all of my work. 
That's very interesting. Um, a little bit like your friend, our mutual friend, Jude Caravan. I yes, think that's she, right. She had yeah. some very early experiences of seeing into a deeper structure of reality uh, and it. then acting yeah. from that and sort of living in two worlds at once. That's it. Exactly. Always, always. And it's the world of potential. So it's, and it's also, for me, that's the world of, of wisdom, of deep connection, of, of unity. Uh, and then it's, it's exploring constantly the means by which that potential in right timing and right relationship can come into this world and then serving its purpose, but then also at the same time honoring when it's complete and so when it's time to renew. So if I look at myself, my life and my work, there's always these very, very deep processes of, of transformation, of renewal, rebirth, sometimes also of loss. There's been, uh, as an entrepreneur, I've had to start all over <laughs> in my business three times <laughs> in a row, build it up. You know, but through that process, you you start to tap a kind of resilience, and then from that outlook now into the world, if I'm looking at what's happening in the world, both of what's dying, what's falling away, what's reaching the end of its story and its lifetime, and then what's seeking to emerge and come through. So for me, it's always living at the intersections. And I remember my favorite moments always when I was a little girl was swimming. And just putting my head just above, you know, the water line there, and then looking at the world just from slightly from the water under the water up, and then feeling while while I was still submerged under the water, there's this wonderful sense of peace because you don't have all the sounds of the outer world, and you, it's like you're seeing this the outer world happening there, so you're part of it, but you're experiencing it from the depth of the water. Very nice. And how did you come to study law? Was there a family connection there? <laughs> yeah, no, no family connection. My my father was a psychologist, experimental psychologist, scientist, and my mother was working in a hospital as a quality care manager. So yeah, completely different professions. But what happened is when, and that's another defining moment, when I was 16 years old, I was elected as a, as part of a delegation of 12 from the Netherlands to to represent the Netherlands in the European Youth Parliament. And then would be in traveling all over Europe uh, while most kids were going to school. <laughs> I was sitting in sessions with the European Parliament, meeting with ministers, with ambassadors. And there was so the whole the making of law really was happening there. So we'd have parallel sessions with the European Parliament where the youth of Europe was asked, you know, what do we think about education? What do we think about weapons? Um, what do we think about the new economic systems? And you know, this is a long time ago, this was kind of the forerunner before the European Union. So for me, I had an incredible international exposure. And, and then as, as youth to be asked really these big questions that they wanted to hear our ideas about her, what it meant to be part of the future making of Europe. So after that, I was considering to become a diplomat. And then the, the school that you usually go to in the Netherlands was, uh, was law school, combination of law school and uh, international law, constitutional law and political science. So that's what I did at Leiden University, but then I got really interested and intrigued, like, why do we need law? And, and what are the deeper agreements, you know, that we've been making? So also very interested in the making of the history or who tells the story about the history. And so because usually laws will be coming into being from two different worldviews, either a worldview, which is more positive, 
Um, and time you had, for example, luck, you know, more believes into you into the human potential and also kindness, or you had hops what's saying, uh, uh, you can't trust any human beings, and you've got to fence <laughs> your property. And in order to have that fence really inserted and protected, you need property law. So I was also very interested, what was it about these different ways of looking at humanity, about a human potential, what it means to live together. And how did that inform the role and the purpose that we contributed to law and lawmaking? And from there, I got an interested in other deeper laws, like sacred laws. I, uh, I took a deep dive in indigenous wisdom and sacred laws from, a, from an indigenous perspective of natural principles. And that brought me into my journey of ecology and looking later than into the laws of living systems. How interesting, because my, my great-grandfather was called James Lorimer, and, and he was a professor of law, and I forget the exact title, but it was to do with international relations as well. And he was a moral philosopher at the same time. And his great work is called The Institutes of the Law of Nations, in which he combines nice. this sort of moral and visionary approach, because in 1870, he was already suggesting a permanent Congress of Nations in order to abolish war. And that's 150 years ago. And so I think this combination of moral philosophy and law yes. is actually yes. very important. Especially now, exactly. And now if we're looking, of course, also at law in terms of the rights of nature. So if we're talking about agency in law, you know, who has agency? And how do we protect that? So can the river have agency? Can the river be also be an identity considered in law that has legal standing? And so, yeah, there's some very fundamental questions also in law that go to the essence now of how do we human together? Who are we as a society? What does it mean? Are we still defined by the, the nation state boundaries? Or is it really time for new sets of agreements? And in light also of what's happening now, with, of course, climate change and the sustainability crisis. Also, what's the law in that? The fact that more and more citizens around the world are calling upon the constitutional rights uh, to actually hold their governments to account and say, you're violating our constitutional rights by not taking the decisions and the actions that are necessary to, to secure a safe future. So I think also this is where now in the role of law, it's starting to take a, you know, a different purpose. And sometimes the even judges themselves have to be almost on the seat of lawmaking, which they're not, you know, supposed to be doing, uh, but they almost have to in order to to hold the political movements to account to say they're not driving change sufficiently. So yes, wasn't there a recent action from young people in Holland? Um, there was you know, yes. taking the government to court, and they, exactly. they won. I believe they won. They won. They won, and the, and the government, as a result, had to drastically, you know, create policies to reduce emissions. But then the other problem is that they were having that policy, but then the way that they're implementing that is not igniting, or did not ignite, and this government's fallen uh, a transformational change process. So this no, is coming I mean, back to with, transformation with, the, <laughs> is, with all the yeah. farming um, and and the oh, way that's terrible. Being being weaponized. So much polarization. Exactly, yes. exactly. Yes. So much polarization. Yes, yes. So I'm going to move on now to any influential mentors or teachers who, who, who might have been important for you in your own development. 
Yeah, well, the first ones I always go to, they're not human. Ah, <laughs> so, that, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're the animals. <laughs> okay. They are the horses that I spend time with, especially, you know, they, they taught me so much about myself and how to listen to nature, how to also to have patience and to have foresight. So they, they've been incredibly important teachers, the trees as well. The ocean, the ocean taught me so much because we are also sailors. So I think some of my deepest learning moments have been on the ocean because when you're sailing, on the one hand, you're looking into the past and this is where you can see into where you've, where you've been and the weather, what has changed. But when you look far over the horizon and you're sailing towards that, you also look into the future. So you can already start to see the patterns in weather in the future and therefore informing what actions do I need to take is the sail that I'm having appropriate. Uh, you know, if there's this big storm brewing, you're literally looking into the future of how you need to navigate that. So the ocean seas taught me also so much um, respect for these forces of nature. Yeah? So she can be calm, but she can be within sometimes minutes, it, it, it can change. And, and then you're thrown back again onto your, onto your own humanity. And how do you deal with that? How do you get creative and listen and really use your intuition? So my first mentors, yeah, have, have always been nature. How fascinating. That recalls the, you know, the medieval theologians who said that there was the book of the scripture. And then the second book you needed to learn from was the book of nature. Uh, so that's very resonant. <laughs> well, that's a wonderful response. And we'll come on now to, to books that have shaped your Which life. Which is the thinking. same answer. <laughs> the book of nature. Okay. Well, there may be other actual books that you'd like to mention. Uh, there, are, there are also, yeah, the Jamie Sands, um, a wonderful Native American writer about dancing the dream and autobiography of a yogi made a lot of impact on Paramahansa Yogananda for me. Uh, reading about his life journey thought was fascinating. Um, also the book of Machiavelli, where he describes in the prince in his little book about um, what common humans need to know about how political leaders are manipulating them. So it, it seemed as if that book was written really for the, uh, the dictators, but it wasn't. So it wasn't actually written to for the dictators or the, or the, the political leaders to manipulate the people, but for the pe common people to understand how they're being manipulated. So I thought that that whole yeah, understanding of, uh, of power, uh, that also you know, was a very important uh, teaching. And uh, I love the books of the Georgian teachings and the Tibetan book of living and dying that helped me really to peel off these different layers of mind. So when I was going through my own transformations, um, also, a lot of books about Australian Aboriginal uh, wisdom as well, from the from the dream time. Yeah, so there's been a been a lot of different these kind of books uh, that have really made a big impact for me as I was going through my own journeys of discovery. But nature to me is a book. So, you know, when I would sit uh, with a tree, for example, and lean against the tree and close my eyes and ask the tree, what is its perspective of human history i'd start to have you know all these different visions and feelings or i hold a stone in my hands and i, I listen to the stone what's your story yeah i learn yes, always listen. so much yes just being able to listen and communicate and um, yes. is something that indigenous peoples did quite naturally but we need to relearn it i think exactly exactly making ourselves receptive because nature is incredibly communicative yeah Everything in nature communicates. Everything is, is part of 
part of a story, but telling a story and making a story. And all it means is you know, making ourselves receptive. Very much, which means tuning in. And I wonder whether mm. you've also yes. read Sun Tzu, The Art of War, because I think that's the sort of equivalent of the prince in Chinese philosophy. I have not, but I will then, yes. <laughs> yes, nice. I think there's quite a lot yes. of sort of tactics and warnings in there as well. Um, <laughs> and uh, what about, uh, is there any other key moment of insight Um in relation to consciousness that you'd like to mention at, at this stage? Because I'm sure you've had a lot of epiphanies, um, probably uh, connected with nature. Yes, indeed, connected with nature. Of course, always that sense that there is a larger collective consciousness that we form part of. So for me, again, coming back to the also the health experiences that I had since I was a little uh, and at times passing out, uh, but noticing that my consciousness would continue. So from a very early age, I, I could feel my consciousness is not limited to my body. Uh, it continues. It is a, it's a greater consciousness. And that consciousness also has all kinds of memories. Has all kinds. So I was, I was getting really curious in the layers of consciousness, like of this consciousness, what is my own personal memory this lifetime and beyond? Um, what in my consciousness and field of consciousness are also memories and perhaps even conditionings as well of my ancestors. So how am I carrying my ancestors with me? What is also my consciousness of future ancestors and future generations and how does that live within me? Uh, how does also the earth herself and the universe and the cosmos? So I was very, very curious to explore all these different layers in consciousness, but then also the way that consciousness comes into creation. So I, I spent a lot of time in meditation to kind of go beyond the first thought and just starting to track the patterns. So just really feeling how from that stillness and that just, just pure being and pure awareness, what causes the, the first thought? And when the thought is coming into being, how does my body register that? And is there an emotion that my body communicates to the thought of my mind? <laughs> yeah. And as that creates a little groove now, it's, it's almost like in the patterning of the sand at the beach, then what pattern does that create in the field around me? And if I send that out and now I wait for a moment, what then comes back? So for me, consciousness is, uh, and space are one and the same thing. So if I now move my hands through the space around me, I would feel I'm in touch with consciousness as well beyond myself. And that, that is a life. So I was very, very interested in, yeah, ever since I was little in consciousness, but then the understanding deepened. And then, of course, also when the, the scientific understandings, especially in the new paradigm sciences and the study of the primacy of consciousness and what happens if we see consciousness as fundamental reality, and then what would be the architecture that consciousness uses to create worlds and experiences and what allows consciousness to evolve as a whole, collectively, but also what allows consciousness to evolve through individuated self-aware experiences at a local scale. So I was constantly exploring both um, experientially and, and in terms of transformative experience, but also as a scientist, all these various kind of degrees between very, very localized and embodied versus non-local consciousness and how they inform each other and, and bring each other Fourth. That's a very subtle and deep process that you've described. 
And how, how does that view influence the way you, you live your life on a sort of day-to-day basis? Hmm. I think it's fundamental to everything that I'm doing. I can imagine. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I cannot... I cannot imagine how it's not there because it informs everything. So, for example, even in the very practical, uh, we were just speaking earlier about we're both writing grant proposals right now. So as I'm working, I'm writing a grant proposal for a game we are developing. So then even the proposal itself to me is now the expression of the consciousness of the game into the form and structure of a proposal that I need to communicate to the people who are uh, having to make the decisions whether the ground is going to be accepted or not. So that's consciousness all the way through. So that is, that's again, so I will be in relationship with consciousness, the consciousness in this case of the game and saying, okay, how do I communicate you best in the form of this proposal? And how can I com- structure and communicate the proposal in such a way that it makes sense for the people who are reading that and making the decisions? It's a constant translation. And that's another thing that I love about consciousness you're always translating uh, between different levels and layers of reality and meaning making. And um, that makes that if you're in that exercise yourself, you're also constantly learning and renewing and evolving. So interesting. And I'm going to ask you an extra question here, because I think yes. it's so important for our time. Is a, How do you see the invisible realms of light um, being able to help us at the moment, because I think we need all the help we can get. We really, really do. Yes. Well, first of all, for me, the the, the invisible realms is also the imaginal realm. Yeah? And we we're talking you're talking about earlier of the imaginal. And to me, the imaginal is actually consciousness in the state of a superposition. So, and if I look at future, to me, future is information also in the state of a superposition. So it's not something that's to do with the arrow of time, but it's it's to do with potentiality. So if we're seeing that, that future itself is a state of potentiality, then maybe perhaps the nature of future is imaginal. Yeah? And that means that then the nature of consciousness really in its future state is an imaginal consciousness. Uh, and if we are adding to that, then that what we, we saw last year in these uh, Nobel Prize winners around uh, where we're talking about reality is fundamentally non-local, <laughs> yeah, or what by some was being translated that local reality isn't real. As someone was saying that, that the universe doesn't locally exist, yeah, but it exists non-locally, yeah. So we're turning that around. Yeah. Then when you can see really is that. It's only by activating and accessing the imaginal layers of our consciousness and collective consciousness that we can access the transformative potentials that are necessary for this time. And I think that's really important because if we are locking ourselves in an old state of consciousness that's very, very maybe specialized even or very too much localized, but it's not accessing the imaginal layers of consciousness from where new futures are born, from where higher orders of coherence and potential are being activated, then we can't be transformative. And if anything shows itself right now in this time in which we are alive, is that we really need to be able to activate and engage transformation from a higher order of reality than the current state that doesn't work. So see that's that so really important. As, yes. 
that's a yes. really seminal insight and it's something that i think we we can all all people who are listening to us can and activate in themselves and and together which yes. uh, obviously the work we do in our area is designed to to do that then i'm coming coming towards the end um do you have a proverb you live by or a favorite quote or favorite quotes yeah this one was actually was given by my parents in the way that they were living their marriage and their relationship and they always had Andalus be an arm for each other so whether it is a friendship or it's a, a relationship or a marriage or a partnership but be a, a, an arm for each other so be be a person that others can also fall back on and that you support each other so that image has always been yeah very deeply there for me of am i an arm for the other person that's uh, yeah and the changes that are happening so that's how beautiful yeah. how beautiful it reminds me of my son george in fact i think because he is such a support to his friends i said ah. in the dedication <laughs> of my book a quest for wisdom i said about him that he's a tower of strength to his friends and so i love that be an arm and then you finally, <laughs> Anna Luce, is there any advice you'd give your younger self? Ah, <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a nice one. So I would probably now to tell my younger self that um, trust, it's going to be okay, because it, it was difficult at times when I, when I was younger, where I'm feeling all these visions and potentials in within myself and so many ideas, I didn't know how to communicate to others. But now I love the time in which we are now, like this conversation right now. And my younger self would have loved to have that conversation at that time. I didn't have anyone to have that conversation with. So, and I also would say to my younger self, thank you for not giving up. Wow, that's just terrific. Anna Luz, thank you so much for sharing your insights on imaginal inspirations. And it's particularly appropriate and because transformation and the imaginal transformation is central to what the whole series is about. My great pleasure. It's been so wonderful to speak with you. 